Alright, so with that, um, I'm excited to be here today as well as I know that you are as well. And so with that, let's dive into the Word of God. Um, we will be reading, this is a continuation of our sermon, our series on the epistle of John, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And we will be reading from 1 John uh, chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, and chapter 5 from various verses. And I will be reading from the English Standard Version. And as reverence to the Word of God, may I request you to please stand. We will be reading from 1 John chapter 1 and with the following verses. And read along with me. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. My little children, I am writing this to you so that you may not sin. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. May the Lord be worshipped and praised by the reading of His Word. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for today. Thank You for the wonderful words that we have read today. Lord, may these words be true in our lives. May we learn from it, Lord. Open our hearts, open our minds, so that we may be able to discern, to know your truth and apply them in our lives. Be with your people today as we look and dig and savor, savor your word. In Jesus' mighty name, our divine teacher, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's all be seated. Well, last week we had a very, very powerful sermon uh, given to us by our pastor, Well, and... Uh, and I say this, whenever I wanted to hear the Word of God, I wanted to just sit and be like a member. I mean, I'm a member of this church, of course, but sometimes, you know, I wanted to sit down and just savor the Word of God. And last week, uh, wonderfully, uh, Pastor Wells' message resonated with me so well, and uh, I was truly, truly blessed. He reminded us that, uh, that we know, that we should know that we have eternal life, that we are led to righteous life. God hears our prayers. And particularly what struck me, what touched me personally was that we are committed to each other. Um, I say that because as a leader, as a pastor of this church, had it not been to some of the brothers here whom I rant all the time, I ran to and run to all the time, these people I know, I could come and they are my safe safe place. And uh, they are committed to me. They are committed to being brother to me. And I thank uh, them for their lives. You know who you are, but I thank you for your lives, that you are committed to me. That uh, don't think that we are the pastors of this church. This church. We are the, the glorious people of this church. We are the uh, people who will never commit mistakes. We are. We do commit mistakes. We are in a position of vulnerability. And I need to tell you that we are vulnerable. And so with that, I was deeply touched. And just this week, um, I'm following the Lambeth Conference. Uh, Archbishop Justin Welby, the primate of all England, uh, met the people, uh, the attendees of the Lambeth Conference. If you don't know that because we don't come from that tradition, Lambeth Conference is the gathering of the Bishop of the Anglican Communion. And um, I was deeply touched by Archbishop Welby's uh, keynote address to the Lambeth Conference. And he said this, and I'll be reading it here. 
He first read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. And let me read that to you. He said, he read this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That was his keynote verse. And he said this, and I'll be reading it. Peter writes to churches that hunger and thirst for God, that do rejoice with indescribable joy. And yet, they experience suffering. Many, perhaps, most who come here are from places of suffering. Some may be sitting here feeling that they are failing in their calling. Or that may come here doubting God and His love. Many would come here with hidden sins of which they are deeply ashamed. Peter, around whose letter we are gathering, new fear, failure, sin, and questioning. Yet, Jesus Christ stands among us now, looks into my heart and your heart, and offers to bear our burdens, to renew our hopes and faith, forgive our sin, and feed us with heavenly food of word and sacrament. He looks deeply into each one of us, and there is nothing he does not know. He looks into each and one of us and loves us. So if you come with inner doubts, inner fears, inner shames, be prayed for, be anointed, receive the renewal of your hearts and your love for Jesus Christ. Those words resonated to me so powerfully. What particularly struck me were the words, some of you here would come at this place thinking that you're failing in your calling. I come to you now with some vulnerability that two and a half years of being in the full-time ministry, I realize that I may perhaps failing in my call to God. And I'm opening my heart to you. I felt that I'm failing my call as a pastor of the church. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it well? And I realized, Pastor Well shared with us, am I doing it with my own strength? Or I look up unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, that I could say, it is not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. I felt that I'm failing you as a pastor and I'm failing this church. And that gave so much stress in me, so much distress, so much depression in me for the last two and a half years. I'm a person who wants to perform. And I said, I may not be performing well. Some of you here like me would come here at this table questioning and doubting God of His love, of His plans for you. You're even questioning your faith. Some of you might come here or who are now here come with hidden sins of which you are deeply ashamed about. What is the relief of the gospel to us? What is the offer of Jesus Christ to us? And I say that because this is what our sermon is all about. 
John, like Peter, wrote these things to us so that we may know something. And Peter, like John, as what Archbishop Justin Welby had just addressed, Peter, like John, knew sin, he knew failure, he knew doubt, he knew questioning. And so he wrote to the church having this in mind. He wrote to a church that is placed and located in a place of suffering, controversy, false teaching, division, internal conflict, and many ethical issues. John is writing to a church that is imperfect. John isn't writing to a perfect church. He's writing to an imperfect church with the hope of looking and telling them about a perfect Savior. You and I are not perfect. I am not. Definitely, I am not. If you think we're the pastors here, we are the glorious people, we, have, we are so much holiness exuding in our bodies, you are wrong. And so, John wrote to the church to tell them, I write these things to you because I want to tell you something. And we've just read that from the various verses. And I think this recapitulates and summarizes the essence of the epistle of John. These things are not original of me. You could find this in NKJV, Commentary Bible. But when I'm looking at this, I said, I want to take that. I want to take this message from that NKJV. And I said, I want to exegete on that. I want to dig into that. Because I think that is not just the message for that church of suffering, but also to us. Are you in a place now of suffering? Are you in a place now of doubt? Are you in a place of sinning, struggling with sin? And so there are four things that I'd like to bring to you today. Allow me to bring this to you. What are the reasons? Why uh, did John write these things to the church? Placed and located in suffering, controversy, false teaching, division, and all of these things that are happening around us. And you might also be placed in that similar situation. You might be placed now in that suffering, in that place of despair, in that doubt, in your fear, or in your crossroads of your life. You might be that person. John is writing to you. He wrote, definitely, the original addressee of this letter uh, were the people uh, of that church. But I believe John has a message for us today. And the first thing that he said is this. I write these things to you in chapter 1, verse 4. He said, so that your joy may be complete. He did not just say that you may have joy. He said this, so that your joy may be complete. Again, Perhaps the people there are happy, but it may not be complete. And so John was telling these this things to the, the church so that their joy may be, and so that their joy, in other translations, may be full. And if we look into how John presented it, let's read this verse. I will emphasize these words. I will read from chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched 
with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with Jesus, with His Son, Jesus Christ. What are the words that you've noticed with those words that I have just read? If you read these verses, you can see and hear the words heard, seen, manifest, witnessed. In other words, John was telling them that joy and the fullness of joy, the completeness of joy is not an abstract concept. It can be felt, it could be heard, it could be seen, it could be witnessed to, it could be testified to. He said joy is real. Completion of joy can be real. Are you in a place and time at this very moment that you think your joy is not complete? John is telling us, the Bible is telling us that your joy can be complete. It can be felt. We have seen it. We have heard it. You can taste it. You can feel it. Have you felt, tasted, seen, heard the joy of God? And what's beautiful with verses, uh, chapter, chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, is this. Joy, not being an abstract concept, being a realistic concept, the basis of Christian joy, and he is reminding the church, the basis of your complete, full joy is your identity in Jesus Christ. The basis of your joy is Christ himself. Because if we would look upon our situations right now, if I would just think about tomorrow, I will be worried. You know that I'm a worry wart. I worry small things. My wife knows that. Every night, I will tell her, with all the worries I have in my life, the simplest things. I think I have an obsessive-compulsive behavior that sometimes I'm already down on the lift. If I just think that I forgot the switch, I will go back again and check it. I don't know. That's an obsessive compulsive behavior. I'm a warrior. But this is what the Bible is telling us. Your joy can be complete. While suffering is real, joy is more real. While suffering is present, joy can be real. Complete joy. Full joy. And where can you find that? What is the basis of that joy? Jesus Christ. If you will look upon your situation, you will not love it. You will not love what's happening around us. We've just had a very strong earthquake, 7.1. Am I right? Who would be happy? You are now probably here with a lot of things in your mind. Do you think you can have joy? The Bible says you can have it. You can have joy. There are so many things that would rob us of our complete joy. Suffering, defeat, doubt, uncertainty. A lot of things. A lot of things. It will be different from each and every individual. But this is the promise. John said, I write these things to you so that your joy may be complete. In other translations, so that your joy may be full. 
Have you experienced the fullness of joy in Jesus Christ? Don't look upon your situation. You can never find happiness in people, in things, in places. Especially in this age and time that we are in an instant gratification mode. I was telling this, you know, I was looking at my phone and I'm taking an app. And the app doesn't work. Matter of seconds, like one, two, three, four, five. It's not loading. Five seconds, six seconds. And I'm already very impatient. This app should be developed more, you know, very, very slow. Five seconds, six seconds. And I realized I'm into a mode of instant gratification. What I want now, I will get. How about those people there? Our joy are always based on those superficial things. I, I spoke to, to one of our sisters, um, and I've said this many times. We're banning these words in this church. Pardon for those people who may not speak Tagalog as a vernacular. We will say, oh, when will you get married? Oh, kailan ka mag-aasawa? Wala ka na sa kalendaryo. When will you get married? We don't have the right to say that. Why would we do that? What is your ultimate and greatest joy? So, I told the sister, and that the sister told me, so, but of course, I'm not stopping you. If you want to enjoy life, you, if God is giving you someone to be with, fine. And so, she asked me, so how do I know if that person is the one for me? I said, this is the first test. Don't look for that person. First, look for Jesus. Find your joy first in Jesus Christ. Because you will not be able to discern that person. That person will say, you're my knight in shining armor when you came into my life. Uh, duh, 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 duh. I tell you this, if you do that, you're up for a big disappointment. I know perhaps my wife is disappointed that he thought I'm his knight in shining armor only to find out that I'm not. She's now up for a big disappointment. Too late, my dear. You've already signed for life. But if you will base your happiness to people, you'll get frustrated. I can tell you that. I don't need to tell you that. You already know it. But if your joy is based in Jesus Christ, then therefore John is saying, I write these things to you so that your joy may be complete. It's no wonder when John wrote this, he started with, with Jesus Christ. I write it from the beginning which you have heard, which you have looked, which you have seen, which you have heard, if you tasted about Jesus Christ. He is the basis of your joy. So I write these things to you so that your joy may be complete. Who is the basis of your joy? What is the basis of your joy? Love life? Material things? Or Jesus? If you want to find a partner in your life, no matter what age you are, this is my call. Remember this, find Jesus first. You will never be able to discern that person if your love, if your joy is not founded in Jesus Christ. Why? You will look into that person and see whether that person is your knight in shining armor and you will up for a big disappointment. Find your joy in Jesus Christ. He is the source. Of true joy. And so John said, I write these things to you so that your joy may be not partial, not in fraction, but in full. And so the second one, he said, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. This is particularly addressed to a church that is marred by sinful lifestyle because there were false teachings. 
And so those false teachings led them to wrong lifestyle, sinful lifestyle. And I said this because I'm coming from a particular understanding. I'm going back to what Archbishop Welby said, that some of us here or many of us here, if not all of us here, are coming with hidden sins of which we are deeply ashamed about. How many of you here were coming to this church, sitting now where you are, and saying, I have deep sins that I'm deeply ashamed about. You have an illicit relationship. You're visiting website that you're not supposed to visit. You're flirting with your colleague. You're perhaps uh, doing bribery, corruption. I don't know. Name the sin. The question is, John said, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. Let's read how John presented that. It's beautiful. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And what's the following words? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When John wrote to them, I write these things to you so that you may not sin, he did not follow it with the words and lambast them with say, I write these things to you so that you may not sin because your sins are da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da, and this, and this, and this. You are all sinful people. You are all damn people. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Beautifully, John said, if any one of you does sin, we have an advocate. He is saying this. John was encouraging the church, those people whom uh, Justin, uh, Archbishop Justin Welby had just described, for those of us who have sinned, those of us who are coming to this place, deeply embedded sin in us, this is the call of God. Do you come to God? Come to God. Repent and be renewed. Be forgiven. God is not asking you to say this, this, I'm not, da, 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 da. I'm not saying that. I know that. There's nothing that Jesus does not know. He knows your deepest secret. And so Jesus is calling you today, if you are that, why don't you come to me? Why don't you come? Because you have an advocate. You can be forgiven. You can be renewed. You can be given new life. Wonderful. And in fact, wonderfully, Brother Bong uh, approached me and, and, and made me see this. He said, in fact, when you read chapter 2, verse 3, and all of that, it speaks about our sanctification. That how do we know now that we're being forgiven because we're now living a righteous life? That it calls us that once we are forgiven, that forgiveness, that love of God will lead us to walk in righteousness in Him. I don't just mean little sins. I mean big sins. I mean your addiction to pornography. I mean illicit relationships. I mean bribery, corruption, all the most ugly sins that you could think of. There's nothing that the blood of Jesus cannot wash. And so John was telling this. I know that. Jesus knows that. Come to him. Be, repent. Come to God. Be renewed. Be refreshed. Be forgiven. That's wonderful. And so, 
Because he said that, that love, that forgiveness should lead you to righteousness. You know, my dear brothers and sisters, the antidote to sin is not legalism. It's not adding more rules to it. The antidote to sin is love. Inspired by John Piper, the way to destroy our appetite for cheap thrills of sin is to know and experience the eternal pleasures that only Christ can give. Only then we see that holiness is beautiful. It's because you've seen how much you've been forgiven and every time you fall, God will grant you that assurance that I am here, I am here to understand, come, repent, stand up again and walk into the way of holiness. That love, that persistent love that Christ always offers you will lead you to righteousness, lead you to obedience to Him, lead you to come alongside Him and say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. And I hope that should be the case in us. And I say this because I'm, I'm so thankful, uh, Pastor Well. Uh, this is not patronizing you, but we've been saying that we need to have a discipleship culture in the church. Truly, intentionally, deeply embedded discipleship culture in this church. I am so thankful Pastor Well is walking the talk. He played together with these young people, and I'm very thankful for that. But let me say this. Sometimes, we see service, particularly for the young people, we see service to God as an award to those people who are good, nice, and holy already. Now, don't get me wrong. There are places of leadership in this church that would require spiritual maturity. Don't get me wrong. And we place value on that. But do we have this notion and idea that if you want to serve, you should have this, 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 and this. As if, for you to serve God, that's an award. It's not. We're talking, and he, in our, one of our conversations together with some of the elders, this is our conversation. You see how Jesus called his disciples? Is Peter perfect? They were all rough lumbers. Jesus called them. And disciple them. He discipled these rough lumbers and turned them into one fine furniture. That is what discipleship is all about. I will not give you the award to be my disciple because I have seen that you're this, 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 and this. This is my challenge. To those of you who want to disciple people, why don't you take something, someone who you, whom you think does not deserve any position in this church, Take someone whom you think so rough, so rough, so bastos, so everything. Call him and say, come along with me. I want you to be with me and be followers of Jesus Christ. I challenge you. That is true discipleship. Discipleship is what we do. You're good. Check, check, check. Good. Disciple. Pack. One, two. Go pack. No. Get a lumber soul. Get a rough soul. And say, I want to see. I see the future in you. I see Christ in you. Jesus saw that in his 12 disciples. None of them is perfect. None of them. Not one. But they were able to come alongside Jesus come alongside you. That's discipleship. That is real discipleship, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't take service as an award. It's not. Take a lumber, a rough lumber, so 
bring them to Christ and show them how to love Jesus Christ, show them how to walk in holiness, and they will taste for themselves the joy you have in Christ. That is discipleship. I challenge you. That is discipleship. If we cannot do that, if we're not ready to do that, we're not ready for discipleship. We'll restart all over again. I say that because I want this church to be a safe place for all of you, for all of us, for like me, who would want to come to Jesus Christ. That is the call. That is the call of this church. You cannot just be sitting there and look for people who are already holy. There's none. I'm not even holy. So if you will take that holiness test to me, right at this very moment, I have to tender my resignation. Look at these young people. I'm very heartened to see them. How many of you would want to journey with some? Not only for these young people, but perhaps same age of yours who are still journeying with Jesus Christ. Take one lumber soul, rough lumber soul, and make them in the power and in the grace of Jesus be a fine furniture. These things written to us so that we will not sin. The assurance of God for us to be forgiven. And the third one, he wrote these things to those who try to deceive us. And of course, in the original conception of this in John, uh, there are so many people that are trying to deceive them about Jesus Christ, about the deception of the Antichrist, that they are not uh, believing that Jesus Christ is from God and He is not the Son of God and He is not God. That's the spirit of Antichrist that John was referring to. But today, there are so many forms in our context as an application. There are so many uh, forms and uh, ways of Antichrist that creeps in even into our church, even into your social media pages, your Facebook, that you are called to discern and to make judgment on them. I say judgment because you will have to decide whether they are right or wrong. Right? We are living in a world that ethics, holiness, is not an issue. We're living in a world that justice should trump holiness. That holiness should be nothing. But as Christians, how do we discern things, circumstances, decisions, or even a simple Facebook post in the light of the Scriptures? Because these can be forms, these could be expressions of Antichrist. Anything that denies the gospel, anything that denies the incarnation of Christ, anything that denies Christ and what it represents is Antichrist. Do you agree with me? Of course. I don't think you can disagree. But there are so many things. How do we discern it? This, for past two weeks, we, you have heard this news, like uh, this doctor uh, Chow Yumul, Dr. Chow Yumul, um, went to a rampage and hot, shot several people in a graduation event in Ateneo. And so many people commiserate with him and saying he's a, he's a, he's a uh, uh, hero, da 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 da. You know. I mean, first and foremost, I commiserate to the guy. I really understand that guy. I've already told you 
my family was also a victim of injustice. My mom was incarcerated for 20 days because of a simple uh, contempt of court. I understand what it means and what it felt to feel injustice. I know that. But if we will make that a hero, if we will justify the act of this doctor, I commiserate, I pity him. Don't get me wrong. But if we will justify that act and we will join the bandwagon of making that a hero, when will violence stop? And then therefore you will now justify religious extremism. You will justify everything that come along your way in the name of justice. But the call of Christian is not just justice. The call of Christian is holiness. These are the things we need to discern. These are just Facebook posts. I've seen a lot of friends who would say this, this, and they're Christian. I said, can we just say that that is still violence? I understand that guy. I commiserate with him. I really, really felt for him. But the end does not justify the means. You cannot correct a wrong by doing another wrong. Otherwise, there will be no stop to it. As a Christian, do we discern those things every day? Am I going to post this? Does it glorify God? Well, of course. Uh, um, sometimes you want to brag. Okay. But every day, in the decisions that you make, are we discerning well? It's not just sometimes black and white. That's easy. But sometimes the decisions where you are called to discern will be in the varying shades of gray. And that is where you are called to authentic Christianity. There are certain lifestyles that, I said, these people are welcome in our church. We God loves them, etc., etc. But I will not agree with that kind of union. Why? Because it does not celebrate the gospel. It is not gospel-centered. Uh, it is not just an issue of justice to me. It's an issue of holiness. It's only when we know the effects of sin in one person's life that's only one starting point when we're able to realize the beauty of holiness and the importance of it. My dear brothers and sisters, we are called to holiness. And holiness that does not just mean moral purity. We always think about moral purity and being goody-goody with all of that. Like, yes, sister. I'm not referring to that. Holiness in the Bible means you're set apart. You are cut above the rest. Are you cut above the rest? In the work that you do, are you doing it cut above the rest? Or are you just saying, hmm, okay, minimal? John wrote to us to concern and to warn us about those who are trying to deceive us. There are a lot of things, not only doctrinal errors, but also, and I'm warning you, ethical issues. And I would like to address the young people today. I'm very thankful that you are here. But let me address this to you, my dear young people. I refer to ages 25 and below. Or 30 below, okay. Sama ko yung iba. 30 below. Because obviously, I'm no longer 30, I'm 40 up. I'd like to address this to you. When will you be able to discern and exercise that God-given discernment. As young people as you are, don't think 
that you're not able to discern. You will because we have a basis of discernment. The scriptures. I tell this to my son. Elisha, I told him, there are things in life that are inevitable. Inevitable mistakes. Necessary mistakes. And I'm not afraid of you committing them. I'm not afraid. But, I told him, there are things in life that are not necessary mistakes. By the grace of God, don't commit them. You are called to discernment, my dear young ones. And for those of you who are listening, there are things, my dear ones, that you are not supposed to commit. Believe me when I say you will regret it. Believe me. You ask your parents. You ask people. They will regret it. You will regret it. Of course, we, sh we should not live in regrets. We shouldn't do that. But don't tell me you didn't once in your life. You will. And so, my dear young ones, are you called to discernment? And those, that's why John is saying, I'm writing this to you concerning those who try to deceive you. People will deceive you that this is okay. This lifestyle is okay. This choice is okay. It's okay. You're young. You're free. Go ahead. YOLO. You only live once. No. My dear young ones, be wise. You are capable by the power of the Holy Spirit to be wise at this age, at this time, as young as you are. Choose rightly. Choose well. And I always say this to my son. The true test, Elisha, of a man is this. If you're able to contain and control your appetite. There are so many things, my dear young ones, that you would like to try and you want to try. Control your appetite. Control your passion. That's the test of a true man. There are things that you're not supposed to do at a certain time, at a certain age. There are things in life that are not worth trying. Believe us. Believe us. We write these things to you, and John said, I write these things to you so that you will not be deceived. And so, therefore, it leads us to all truth. Because Christians are called to discern, to discern, and to discern well. Because the standard by which we will measure our actions and gauge ourselves is only through the truth of Jesus Christ. And therefore, when John warned the people, about them not being deceived, John is leading them to the truth of Jesus Christ. Am I right? You are called to discern and to discern well. I hope you will do that all the time. Armed by the truth of the word. Of course, God will not tell you what coffee to take in the morning. But I hope that you would know when to decide and able to discern what's right and what's wrong. And what's grade one and grade two. We are called to discern. And finally, John wrote this to us so that we may know we have eternal life. Beautifully, and this is just an expansion of what Pastor Well had shared. And he shared about eternal life. And I agree with him and... That's theologically sound, very theologically sound. Because we always view this, that our eternal life starts when we die. No. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, your eternal life starts now. 
right? Because the moment you close your eyes when you die and the moment you wake it up, that's eternal life. And we always have this notion, and Pastor Wes said this, and I want to emphasize on this again. When we hear eternal life, we always think of duration. We always think of quantity. We always think of the measure of that length of time, right? But eternal life is not like that. Eternal life is the quality of it, how beautiful that is. The eternal life spoken to us and discussed by the Scripture and taught by Jesus Christ, offered by Jesus Christ is this, not just eternal life in continuity, by length, by quantity, but eternal life in complete joy, love, happiness, grandeur, beauty. And I've said this, all of you would have eternal life. That is not the question. All of you would have eternity. All of you. All of you would have eternal life. That is not the question. The Bible is saying this. You are all eternal beings. You have a soul. But where will you spend your eternity? That is the question. Am I going to spend my eternity in damnation out from the glory, the power, the beauty, the majesty of God? Or will I spend it away from God, facing and suffering the wrath of God for eternity? You are all eternal beings. Who said you're not? You are. Where will you spend it? But I also want to place this theology. Sometimes, and I say this, it's so pitiful, pitiful, that heaven is our destination, but we have very, very, very poor theology of heaven. Very poor. Because it's in the Bible, no eyes have seen or ears have heard. Um, the wonders and the beauty uh, that the Lord has prepared for those who trust Him. Because of that, we became so restricted in the way we imagine our eternity and the way we imagine heaven. Start imagining the beauty, the wonder, the glory, the majesty of heaven. Start now. It doesn't say you cannot imagine it. Imagine it. Is there something in you that you say, this is beautiful, this is wonderful, this is great, this is awesome, this is joyful, this is pleasurable. Think about that. Start from that and say, if this is something that makes me joyful, this is something beautiful, something great, something wondrous, something awe, uh, I'm at awe, something that captivates me, then the Bible says probably times two, times one, or even times one million, that is heaven. That is life with Jesus Christ. That is what God is calling you to imagine. And how poor our theology uh, was when it comes to that. I write these things to you so that you may have eternal life. And eternal life being spoken here is a life of love, intense, full of joy, of energy, of activity. Are you starting to imagine heaven? I do. And you know, it will change your perspective. I know that what I imagine will surpass, will be surpassed by the reality of heaven. I know that in my heart. I know that if I'm thinking heaven as like this, heaven would be more. Heaven would be more. If it would be more, I should be excited going there. Because that is what Jesus promised. You know, he wrote this to a church that is suffering. He wrote this to a church that is being divided. He wrote this to a church that is located and placed in the midst of their trials. 
in our place and time where we're all now in that place of instant gratification for these people, for them to be given a promise that there's a life for them is a great encouragement. I hope that our theology of heaven will be expanded. Randy Alcorn is one uh, theologian starting to write about it. Um, Pastor Rebel should write another one. Uh, don't count me in. I'm not that scholarly to start it. But have you started engaging yourself in that, that theology of heaven? Are you excited to go to heaven? Or you think heaven is just a boring place with flowy air? That's a very, very bad notion of heaven. Like heaven in the film would just be all white, smoky. I said, if that's heaven, yeah, I'd rather be on earth. Do you think that is heaven? Do you think that is heaven? No. I'll dare say. I'll debate everyone that's not heaven. I beg to disagree, boy. No. Heaven is a wonderful place. It's a place of Jesus. Jesus died so that we could all be with him. Do you think he would just offer a place snowy and just full of fluffy smoke? No. He will bring us to where He is. And where He is, there is beauty. Where He is, there will be wonders. I hope you'll get excited. And so John wrote this to the people, to the church, so that their joy may be complete. So that they may not sin and they will be led to holiness. And so that these people will not be deceived and be led to all truth. And so he wrote these things so that they may have eternal life. So John was writing to them so that they may have joy, they may have holiness, they may have truth, and they may have life. My question and my final question is this, where and to whom you can find joy, holiness, truth, and life? You can only find this in this person, Jesus Christ. And so, you know, John was very, very good in his depiction and his exegesis with this, you know, and the way he presented it, he's like, okay, you have joy, you have holiness, you have truth, you have life. And at the end, as what we're discussing, at the end, he said, all of this joy, holiness, truth, and life can only be found deeply rooted in this man and his name is Jesus Christ. Your true joy, your complete joy can only be found in Jesus Christ. Your holiness, your way of holiness is not through legalism. It can only be realized and actualized in Jesus Christ. The truth can only be found in Jesus Christ. And your eternal life can only be found in Him. It's all about Jesus Christ. If you found Him, you will find joy in your life. If you found Him, you can have holiness. That is the call to your life. You can have victory over sin. If you are with Him, you can find truth. If you have Him, you can have eternal life. It's all about this Jesus Christ. And that is why John was saying, I write these things to you so that you may know Jesus Christ. Know and experience Jesus Christ. Because only through Him, you can experience joy. You can have holiness. You will have truth. You will discover truth. And you will have that life. None other. There's no shortcut to it. There's no other way other than Jesus Christ. My question is this, as I end, have you really found Him? Have you truly experienced and know Jesus Christ? 
Do you love Him? Are you excited to be with Him? Or are you just okay here on earth? Certainly, I don't want to be here anymore. On earth. Um, but I'm not praying that I'll die a little later. I'm not praying for that. Uh, I, God, give me a little bit more time, you know. Uh, but I hope we've found that all in Jesus Christ. After all, the reason why we're here, it's because of Him. The reason why I'm here, despite my failing, and perhaps failing my calling, is because of Jesus Christ. Because if it will just be you, it will just be the people, I will get frustrated. The reason why you're here is because of Jesus Christ. He lives for you, and you ought to live for Him as well. He first loved you. And so I hope, my dear brothers and sisters, as you go along this week, as you uh, tread along this week, I hope that will encourage you. You can find it all in Jesus Christ. If there is something that you're facing, Jesus is asking, why don't you come to me? Because I offer not just joy, but a complete joy. That if you're struggling with sin, come, be renewed, be forgiven, because I'm offering forgiveness and holiness. If you think you're deceived and you're looking for something that is true and you're questioning God, why don't you come to Jesus Christ and find truth? And if you think you're not sure about your future, why don't you come to Jesus Christ and find eternal life? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us to the cross of Jesus Christ, where we will find joy, holiness, truth, and life. And as John wrote this to us, we are reminded always that in you, there is joy. In you, there's victory over sin. In you, we'll find truth. Truth even at times in a life of a lie. You've called us to even a place of vulnerability. You've called us to a life and that eternity is with you. Father, may these things encourage your people that whatever it is that they're facing here on earth, whatever it is, nothing compared to the glory, the beauty, the majesty we have in you and in you alone. And then we will find the greatest satisfaction of our souls. Our greatest reward, our greatest joy, Jesus Christ. None other
have called us to a place of forgiveness and tell us go and see no more for those people who are here struggling with their future with their children with their spouses you have called them to look upon you as their greatest joy. Lord, comfort their hearts. I pray for the people who are worried, for the people who are depressed, for the people who are so taken up and consumed by so many things. Lord, give them rest. May they find that rest. And for all of us, O oh Lord, struggling, and even myself thinking that I have failed you. Thank you for the assurance that you have always called us to a place where you say, come to me. All of you who are burdened and heavily laden, them love. Give them the rest that only come from you alone in Jesus Christ our Savior. Father, thank you. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our glory and your all glory and majesty and power. Thank you. We worship you today and as we go through the week, encourage us. Be with us. We ask this mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Perfector, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's all stand to receive the benediction. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and He will surely do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in the name of our triumph God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Let's give a clap offering to the Lord. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you.